Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences, Inc. I am Dr. Steve Wood, and joining me today is Baxter Drennan, attorney out of Little Rock for Hall, Booth, and Smith. Baxter, how are you? Thanks for joining the podcast. I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, a little starstruck uh, after uh, listening to 100 episodes of your podcast. I'm, I'm excited to be on. Yeah, and it's, it's funny how you even ended up coming to Beyond, right, as you had contacted me about something else, and we were talking, and we'll get to it later, but you had mentioned something about training and talking more about training, so I said, you know what, I'm going to have you on, so yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you could join. Um, give us a little bit of background into, you know, what your area of expertise is, your area of, um, you know, defense work, and how, how the, all the different a- aspects that you work on. Sure. So I started practicing in 2010, uh, grew up in Arkansas, went to college and law school in Arkansas and uh, knew that as I started my practice, I wanted to be in Arkansas. I worked for, uh, I guess, 11, almost 11 years at a a 70 lawyer firm uh, here in the state. Uh, And then uh, in October, made the transition to Holby Smith uh, firm with about 320 lawyers, 12 states. Uh, But in my second or third year of practice, you know, I, I got asked uh, to uh, come with a, a senior partner in the firm to help him try a case. Uh, he couldn't hear very well, and he asked me if I would come be his ears and let him know when he should object uh, to, to testimony. And um, that was my first time of really seeing a trial and how it unfolded and, and fell in love with that. And have uh, I've tried to study good trial lawyers, how to be a better trial lawyer, uh, worked hard at it from there and have been lucky to try cases uh, since then. Uh, and that's a long way of saying I, I do products work, uh, transportation work, commercial litigation work. But um, a lot of if if a trial is anticipated, you know, I, I get asked or I ask asked to get brought in on the case uh, in hopes of getting back in the courtroom and trying the case. Well, that's a good point, actually, that you said you, you ask or you try to get in. And I think one of the things we see a lot with with younger attorneys, and I say, you know, 10, 15 year type attorneys, not, you know, first, second year, they're not trying a lot of cases, but you seem like, I I think you've tried a lot of cases, haven't you, in in comparison to maybe some of your other colleagues or some of the other people who are similar in your time in the, in the, uh, being an attorney? Yeah, so um, I I, I keep a a count uh, based on the ABOTA definition of a trial and lead counsel, and I've been lead counsel in uh, 12 cases uh, you know, kind of second chaired another uh, five or six. And those are all that have gone to jury, uh, gone to a jury verdict. Then I've got a few more where we got directed verdicts along there. So around 20 uh, first or second chair uh, trials total. Excellent. And, you know, all, all of those, you know, you laid out kind of how you have a various areas that you actually work in. Have you found any of those areas more difficult to defend you know, than another area or easier to defend than another area, or do you see them pretty similar across the board? Um, I think transportation cases, so, uh, you know, 18-wheeler accidents, I think those are, are hard to defend uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, generally the public doesn't love uh, 18-wheelers, although, you know, during the pandemic, we've all, we've all seen the importance of them, uh, but there's, there seems to be a, a bias against them. Uh, usually, um, the, the drivers have, uh, moved on from the trucking company that's uh, been sued. And so tracking them down and working with them, 
uh, can sometimes be difficult. Uh, and and the the facts are are typically against us. There are usually cases where we did cause an accident or we don't have a way to prove that we didn't cause the accident. And I think if you can't prove you didn't do it, uh, you're you're in trouble on a liability uh, defense with a truck trucking company. Um, so for for those reasons, I think those are harder to defend. Uh, in my experience, products cases you, with a manufacturer, you usually have a manufacturer that's engaged, that has worked hard to uh, design and manufacture a product to, to the best of uh, what's available scientifically. And I don't know if they're easier to defend, but certainly um, easier to work with the company to create a defense um, with those. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we do a lot of, of work with trucking companies and stuff too, and that's one of our you know, areas that we, we really like to focus on. Have you noticed any change? You know, I know prior to, obviously, a lot of people had negative opinions towards the trucking industry. The pandemic hit and then people started to increase their perceptions because they were the ones bringing your goods and stuff. Have you seen, at least personally, any shift going back towards that negative opinion that people have of truck drivers? Or do you think it, has it stayed consistent from pandemic where they've actually gained some ground and it stayed? Uh, I, I haven't tried a trucking case since the pandemic started, uh, but the verdicts that I'm seeing would suggest that they are not getting the benefit of the, the pandemic, um, the focus or importance that was placed on truck drivers during that time period. Um, I think that's probably at a, at a macro level, we all see and understand their importance, but when we get into a jury trial and 12 folks there, I think the, the uh, bias against them is probably still there. Yeah. And I think one of the things, right, is, is a lot of times people have had bad experiences with the truck driver, whether it be on the on the highway where maybe they got over in front of you or they're in the left lane while you're trying to pass or anything. You know, everybody has their own kind of horror story of sorts with truck drivers. So I can see where that has still kept going forward, even post pandemic, which hopefully, as we've, we've talked multiple times on the podcast, that we want to get over that and hopefully try to raise up the trucking industry. Um, Absolutely. You know, and I want to, you know, one of the things you, you talked about, you tried several cases, and I know that you've had some defense verdicts. Uh, you know, you've been successful in that. Do you have any defense verdicts that you found that were, you know, your, your favorite or your proudest ones that were, you know, it was kind of like the quintessential win for you that you can remember and look back on? Uh, sure, a few. Uh, one's funny, so I'll tell it. The, the, that first case I was talking about where I carried the, the briefcase, uh, we got a defense verdict in it, uh, and I was proud of it. My, the firm I was at was Wright, Lindsay, and Jennings, and uh, the, the Jennings of the firm, it, his son is who I tried the case with, so that was, that was special just from that perspective, but I, I learned a lot. Um, the, I learned that uh, in that case, you know, the facts matter, but also how, as lawyers, we present ourselves matter. Uh, after the trial, uh, we got a, an email from one of the jurors that uh, to, to Mr. Jennings and I that said how much she appreciated that we had gotten our haircut, uh, that the plaintiff, the plaintiff's lawyer had not gotten a haircut. And he looked sloppy and she didn't believe him because of that. And I, I, that's something that's always stuck with me when I talk to uh, young lawyers about trying cases. That, that's a lesson I've learned. You know, you, the way you present yourself is as important as the facts, is as important as the law. Um, and so that's that one's special to me. Um, a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, uh, we had a multi-week uh, products case 
that we actually we got a directed verdict uh, right before closing arguments. The judge uh, let us go to closings and uh, gave us a directed verdict. And that was exciting. It was a, a huge case. Uh, but maybe more exciting for me is I turned around and the next day uh, started uh, another trial and I got a, well, I was going to say a full defense verdict. That's not true. The jury awarded $87 uh, to the plaintiff. And so uh, doing them back to back and uh, just the, the frenetic energy that came from doing that uh, was, was really exciting. Um, but I, there's, 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 it's always fun to get to try a case. It's always uh, some, some pressure and stress, but I, I would say that I, anyone where um, I, I had a client tell me this, anytime you leave without paying millions of dollars, uh, it's always a good day in the courtroom. And so I, I've had a lot of those good days. Yeah, I think you said a couple of good things in there. The first, you know, as, as we've had conversations offline before about attorney credibility and stuff, I'm a strong proponent on the idea that to what you just said, that it's not necessarily, you know, just what you're saying, but it's also how you're saying it, how you're presenting it. And I think there are some attorneys out there who just don't put a lot of stock in perceptions of how jurors are going to perceive them. They think the case facts are going to carry the day and whether or not they, how they present it or whether or not how they're dressed or how they interact with witnesses doesn't matter, right? They just think whatever the, the, the evidence will carry the day. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up and, and pinpointed on that. Um, the other thing too, is one of the things you said about, you know, as long as you get out of there without paying millions of dollars, that's another thing too, right? Is when we talk about defense verdicts, sometimes people will think it has to be a $0 verdict, but that's not necessarily true, right? I mean, you could have what you refer to kind of as a defense win where you actually have to pay some money. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think this idea uh, that if you can't get a zero in a case, you shouldn't try it is something that's, um, you know, kind of hurting the defense side of cases, the industry or the insurance side, that um, if there's if there's any risk of a verdict above a zero, we're, we're not trying those cases. We're scared to try those cases. And instead, I, I think we have to look at them, evaluate them honestly um, and, and stick to our number and, uh, you know, our evaluation. And even if that's, you know, there is a dollar figure associated with it, be prepared to go to trial on that case. Um, and if, you know, you beat your dollar figure, then I, I consider that a win. Certainly if you uh, beat what you can settle it for, that's a win. Uh, but, but the idea that you have to get a zero or you shouldn't try the case, I, I think is, is hurting us. Right. And I think that's another thing too, is we're not applauding these defense wins that are, you know, it's all, everybody's focused on the zero, 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 but there's times that you should be, like you said, applauding those ones where, Maybe the, the ask was 10 million and you ended up taking it to trial and it was 2 million. I mean, that's, that's ultimately a win as well. You know, and I know you have a lot of, you actually got your hands in a lot of things, right? As, as far as with DRI and sitting on advisory boards and all of those other things. What kind of is your feel from the defense bar as far as whether or not the defense bar is, is looking to take cases to trial more or they, is that kind of the idea of let's just settle is that going away? And let's say, you know what, let's, let's take it to trial. Let's, let's go against the plaintiff. Um, I think it, I think it's less about uh, the, the bar as a whole and more about firms and probably even down to clients and lawyers. Uh, you know, there's, there's an aspect of the industry that wants to resolve cases uh, as quickly and cheaply as possible um, without a lot of effort from the defense lawyer to, to defend the case, if that makes sense. 
Uh, and so I, I've seen uh, what I think is uh, an attitude of um, we don't want to win anymore. We want to we want to resolve it and move on as opposed to putting out what I see is an all out effort to, to win the case. Winning a trial uh, is not a half measure. You, you have to go all out. And um, from my perspective, I think there are some clients that are seeing a change where they they are willing to do that. And I think uh, law firms, particularly like Hall Booth Smith, are are interested in you know coming to agreements with clients to where uh, that's both affordable and, and, and doable. Um, you know, uh, there's there is a um, you know there's a disconnect between clients and lawyers. We you know lawyers want to bill hours and clients want to pay less. Um, and going to trial costs money. And so I think uh, as we continue the, the practice of law on the defense side continues to develop, we're going to see more arrangements that, that put us on the same side. So reverse contingency fees, flat rates where you're rewarded for uh, winning a trial, you know, taking a case to trial and winning. But until that's widespread uh, across the board adopted, I think we're going to continue to see this attitude of resolve the case cheaply quickly with as little effort from defense lawyers possible you know you said you said something that was interesting you talked about reverse contingencies and i've heard i've heard some people start to talk about that <clears throat> is that something that's actually becoming more prevalent or something that in the defense bar is, is something that's actually gaining traction that people are talking more about for some people they've been able to get them instituted and have done well with them for me uh i have not had a client agree to it yet but it's something that was not a in the conversation before, but now we can at least, you know, start the conversation. Um, you know, certainly more advanced than that are the flat rate uh, fee agreements. Again, where you, you know, the client knows what they're going to pay. The defense lawyer is given free range to do what it takes to win the case, you know, from, a, and I'm talking about from an hours and effort perspective, not, not from an ethics perspective. Um, and I am seeing those much more widely adopted. And I think the clients that understand if they can't just write checks, uh, we'll continue to adopt, you know, one or both of those models. Interesting. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested to see how that, that goes going forward, because that seems to be, at least from my understanding, one of the newer things that people have been talking about. Uh, you know, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk, you know, as you said, you're an Arkansas, Arkansas guy, um, graduate school, Arkansas and all of that. What's kind of the legal landscape right now in Arkansas as it relates to COVID, you know, a lot of, I feel like I'm kind of nervous that we're going to go back to 2020 here. I've, I've had several cases that I've been working on get bumped to later on because of concerns about COVID. But what kind of what's the lay of the land there in Arkansas? Sure. And Arkansas is a red state. Uh, we've had, um, I'd say, some, some of the most uh, conservative uh, rules related to COVID uh, in the country. Uh, Pulaski County, which is where Little Rock is, the capital. Uh, through most, well, all of 20 or, you know, after COVID hit and a substantial portion of 21 was not open to the public, <clears throat> excuse me. And so uh, it, it has opened up. Uh, we, other than Pulaski County, you might've had some here or there that were closed, but largely the courts remained open. Uh, I tried three cases, you know, March of 20, August of 20, and then uh, last year, early 21, uh, where you know we were able to try cases uh, through COVID, in the last two to three weeks we're starting to see uh, shutdowns again. Uh, one of our uh, 
federal district courts uh, has uh, continued all but the, the absolute ne necessary uh, trials and in-person hearings. And so I'm, I'm like you, um, I'm afraid that we're going to shut back down, hopeful that Omicron is, uh, goes away as quickly as it came and maybe we won't have that. Yeah. Have you had to do much over Zoom, any sort of like, you know, probably not Zoom trials, but, you know, Zoom hearings or anything as, as it relates to that? Yeah, we did a, a ton of Zoom depositions, which um, for certain fact witness depositions at this point, I, I'm, I'd rather, rather have it by Zoom. Um, there's, there's a substantial time savings and, um, you know, for, for the right witnesses, I don't think there's a difference uh, between, between the uh, Zoom or in person. Uh, I, I've done a multi-day um, TRO hearing via Zoom. We had hundreds of exhibits and it was awful. Yeah. Um, there were, I want to say there were four different, well, there were three different sets of attorneys. There were four, at least four rooms with the judge or the court, you know, via Zoom. Um, and it just, uh, with, with that many people involved, somebody's computer messes up, you know, 10, 15% of the time. And uh, it, it really was bad. Uh, I don't think uh, the court was able to see and take in all the information uh, in the same way that we would have been able to do it live. And I don't think we were able to present it in the same way that we would have been able to do live. And uh, it led to an outcome that was uh, not ideal for my client. Um, it ultimately worked out, but uh, I, I think the Zoom hearing really limited what we could do. Um, I, I can't imagine trying a case via Zoom. Um, certainly not something that was significant, uh, I, I, unless unless it was, you know, my client's absolute uh, insistence. I would recommend against it. Yeah, I, th I think that seems to be kind of the feeling I've gotten from a lot of people. The, there's the, you know, there's the convenience of it, but at the same time, there's all these other technological issues, and then just the fear of. I mean, could you imagine if you had a $20, $30 million case that rested on whether or not the guy who was watching was paying attention or, you know, he's, he's chomping on his bag of Doritos and drinking his Pepsi in the middle of it, not paying attention and playing on his phone. I mean, I, I would be terrified as, as a client to have to think that that's, that's the way it'd be resting on, on those people who are not paying attention. Absolutely. And, I, and you, you would probably know this better than me. And attention spans continue to uh, decrease. And that's live and in person. I, I'm not sure. I'm sure somebody has done a study on attention span between the screen and in person, but I suspect it's even lower or, or less time. Um, and so you're, you're right. The, the number of distractions that a trial lawyer has to compete with when they're talking to a juror in person are, are heavy enough. You know, I can't imagine exponentially more via Zoom. Um, so I, I just I don't think that's a good way for our system uh, long term to continue again, at least not as to significant trials. I agree. You know, and so I, I kind of want to wrap up talking about training because, like I said, this is where you and I had our initial conversations with one another. You know, you had you had mentioned that a lot of things that you've done yourself to try to go out and get training, and a lot of times on the podcast we talk about training that needs to be done for the defense bar. You know, kind of what is your thoughts if you had kind of a you know, a, a laundry list of things that if you can get training on, what would it be 
that, that you feel like would be something that'd be very valuable for attorneys to learn? Sure. Um, so I, I, I was very fortunate. Uh, my first firm sent me to deposition school as soon as I started, went to trial school a couple years in, uh, and those were both uh, NIDA programs. Uh, and they were, they were excellent. Uh, you know, first, uh, maybe, maybe beyond a 101 type class for both of those things, but certainly not advanced. Um, I, if, if, you know, if you're serious about trying cases, um, I think uh, witness prep is a, a, a really in-depth witness prep. I mean, listen to you all on the podcast, learn the psychology that comes uh, with, with answering questions as a witness and being able to prepare witnesses to, to deal with that. You know, the, um, I know reptile theories shifted to the Keenan Trial Institute, but the, the, those questions were effective because they, uh, you know, created cognitive distance for witnesses. And I, I'm a trial lawyer that has a political science degree. I don't, I don't know the, that, those type skills. So I, I think classes on that, learning that, um, and that witness preps, not just for sitting in front of the jury, that's for depositions. Um, and so there, I think, you know, I don't know if it's as much a class as it is just continued practice. I think at some point, BRI or some other organization is going to start putting together skills competitions or skills training where lawyers that are 35 years, 45 years, maybe 50 uh, are given an opportunity to practice their their skills uh, in front of others. Uh, you may see some of that internally. I know of a firm that has an internal trial competition uh, where annually uh, lawyers participate in the trial competition. Uh, but I, I think you're going to have to see um, some of those type things because even, even the most productive trial lawyers, two, three trials a year um, is about the best you can ask for. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's enough to keep up with the advancement on the plaintiff side. You know, we, we want to complain about reptile theory or whatever the new theory is, but I, I, I think that's certainly an issue. But the fact that skilled plaintiff's lawyers are working hard to improve their craft is as big an issue or, or, or more. Uh, and we've got to be doing the same thing. Um, you know, as, as you know, to, to do that in Arkansas. I'm fortunate to be the president of the Arkansas Association Defense Council. So for our, our seminar this year, we're gonna have you know, presentations on, on these hard issues, arguing damages, um, I think is, is a great place. Obviously we're gonna have uh, training on witness prep and even you know, bringing, bringing people in to get a first level witness uh, preparation uh, training when there's when there's not the pressure of a case that's that's pending um but i th i think i'm not sure there's a topic that that should be off limits or that shouldn't be covered um in, in terms of training um if if we want if we want to be able to continue to try cases we're going to have to win those cases uh that we take to trial or at least a substantial portion of them so that we continue to be trusted to do it and if it touches on that whether it's psychology uh you know, from an, uh, I'm not sure what you call act, you know, acting, um, blocking, how you move, how you present yourself. Uh, I just don't think there's an aspect of that, that we don't need to perfect so that we can keep trying cases. Excellent. Yeah. No, I think you bring up a lot of good points that, you know, the, the, the training that's needed. And then a lot of times it's just putting yourself out there, right. And feeling, 
comfortable to say, okay, there's this gap of knowledge that I don't have, or feeling comfortable getting up in front of a group of people and, you know, doing like a mock opening statement and having to put yourself out there. So I think all, all that's all good. And hopefully, like I said, that people will take, take you up on that and listen to you and, and start enacting more of that training and spread that out through the defense bar. Baxter, I appreciate you coming on. If anybody wants to get a hold of you uh, for anything, any questions, any potential work, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, well, I, the, the Hall Booth Smith uh, website's a perfect place. Uh, my email address is bdrennan at hallboothsmith.com. Uh, phone number 501-319-6996. And I'd, I'd love to talk to him about any of this or more. Sounds good. Well, Baxter, like I said, I appreciate you coming on. You know, if you have any more information, if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at swood at courtroomsciences.com. As always, our blogs, podcasts can be found at courtroomsciences.com. This has been another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences, Inc. Thank you.